You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are here in our second week discussing Death in the House of Rain by Zhu Yen Lin. Herds? Yes, Flex? What in tarnation? <laughs> what do you mean? Just, what, what, what is happening in this forsaken book i mean that's hold on now that's that's your job that's your job to tell me what's happening but uh we are we are currently reading or talking about reading we've already read uh chapters two to four of the house of rain the night of beheading footprints of the ghost and four in the locked room this takes us up to the end of part one because yes, this book has half many the book. layers of division just mm-hmm. seeking to complicate the utter befuddlement this text is giving me also, none of them make a lot of sense. I would love to know what the author was thinking when they like divide up this book because part one ends 75% of the way through this e-reader and there's still like a whole extra puzzle that I want to get you to solve in the second half of the show. Oh, what? Yeah, but to catch, catch you up to speed, there have been two more deaths. This is horrifying. Yeah, we've, we've had the deaths of the two other college- Ladies Yunchen Lu and Ling Shabai. Yeah, it brings the body count up to up to six, arguably seven if we count the suicide of Wei Kun Yang in the past, which is a pretty hefty body count. And the, the murders are quite grisly. There's a lot of throttling and beheading. And apparently the, the murder from last week, Shang Ya, did not have her head sawed off but rather torn off which is horrifying like th- there there's a lot going on in this book mystery wise they've been missing car keys and proposed sexual violence and like it we've got these introspective chapters that talk about the characters like there's uh, a lot the, the the weirdest one to me is when we go with Cheng Yang and Bing Yu yeah and they set up this plan based off the Caves of Death DVD to trap Yunjin and like they want to get revenge on her. Yes, they write this letter and it's like, "Oh, it was never Zhang Ya that I was interested in. It was you all along." And I must say, I absolutely love the way that this is written because in it's- my head I was like, "Wait, <laughs> yep. is this a- actually is that actually what's going on here?" because then Zhen Yin sort of buys into it and it's like, "Well, is this meant to be a twist that I'm being showing where this is the actual truth that like there's so many layers of ambiguity that it is at once incredibly frustrating to decipher who actually believes what? Well, because the, the characters don't really say exactly what they're feeling. Yeah. It's also incredibly compelling in that you have to wade through all of this obfuscation. Yeah, because, of course, what further complicates that scene, as horrific as it is, is that Cheng Yan is the one who's, like, writing this maybe fake confession letter to lure Yunchen into a room so that they can not murder her because that doesn't end up happening, apparently. But it's also Bing Yu is the guy who actually likes her. He's the one who has the crush on the confident masterful character with the tragic backstory because they both they both have bad childhoods. That's something that the book like points out. That both Bing Yu and Yunqin have had terrible upbringings, but they and they both deal with it by trying to act aloof and like embrace the darkness within themselves in a way, which is great. I love that Yunqin is like, I'm a rebel when she's the one who's commanding others. It's 
bizarre. Yeah, and it's also we keep having these like flashback sequences to everyone's pasts, and I like the way that it is sort of teasing the potential of us getting the solution to the crime that happened a year ago. Like that one of these flashbacks will eventually unveil that truth. Yeah, well, the, the, I mean, there's definitely that that idea of like a knock-on effect, right? That these plans, the drugging the wine and that really, really Cheng Yan is just an awful person who is badly influenced by everything he watches. But the, the drugging the wine, the luring Yun Chin to the room, the stealing of the car keys, which is a whole other subplot that doesn't really go anywhere. But Cheng Yan, he keeps doing these things because these are things that he's seen or been inspired by in this Caves of Death film that he's borrowing from, from Renze Bai. And it's definitely seeding that idea that like, Whatever is happening tonight is influenced by past events. It's influenced by something that is not as as clear, but we're still trying to kind of figure out what that is. What's the connection between the deaths that happened a year ago today in this spooky mansion? Like, <laughs> we're, we're still trying to figure it out. It's also really excellent the way that we work in all of these little puzzles along the way. Like, for example, the keys go missing to all of the cars at the start of this stretch of chapters. And that's solved very quickly, but we're still sort of presented it in a context where it doesn't necessarily link in like there's a line where one of the characters explicitly says like use your head the person stealing car keys isn't actually necessarily the murderer which we don't know at this point but it still sort of teases answers in front of us to keep that puzzle solving satisfaction going in the short term while we work towards the longer term stakes of the novel yeah, I, I think that the mysteries in this novel in general do a good job of teasing the line between everything is connected and actually it, it doesn't have to be connected. Like that's, I think, a big part of the puzzle, especially for readers like us who are kind of clued into what's going on in the story, how much of the story is dot by dot connected, you know, step A to step B to step C and how much of it is coincidence is something that, that you're going to have to puzzle out as we go forward. I also like the way that, in teasing it out, there are lots of reveals that happen without necessarily revealing anything. Like, I think, for example, the two things that I figured out last week is that the cipher at the start with the email points to Ting Yan, and that the rooms that the murders happen in are elevators. And even though I have those two pieces of information, they haven't really gotten me anywhere without looking at everything else that's going on in the book. So it's not a like one trick pony uh, as far as the the narrative and puzzle are interlinked. Like Cheng Yan, for example, is a great example of a character who in any other novel, I think could come across as too obvious, but because of how calculatingly his dialogue is written, it comes across very strongly that he is still possible as a suspect whilst being very brazen in what his actions are yeah it could be that there's just an extra element to his insidious stupidity that we're not quite seeing yet although the fact that he's found outside two of the rooms that we've like had a murder in like being seen as the murder is happening definitely um makes that difficult so listen, the odds are not looking great for him, but <laughs> I don't think that we have any solid answers. He he might be the person most likely to commit a murder, even if he can't have committed or is most likely not to have committed these particular murders. 
would you be the most likely person to commit murder in your class? Absolutely. Okay. In a heartbeat. Is that is that legally admissible? Don't answer that. My advisors are telling me that I should not answer any further questions, Your Honor. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take a step back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe I should be asking you the questions. I suppose, Herds, we should probably wrap this part of the discussion here and jump over into the mystery section because you, you want me to do some reading before we get to it? I do. I, I want you to read... So <laughs> I want you to read chapter five is what I want from you. I want you to read that chapter and see if that changes your opinion on what's going on at all. I, I want to know before we, before we disappear, do you think you know who the killer is? The problem that I have at the moment is that all of our crime scenes have been presented as dusty and untouched. Mm. I mean, who knows? Can I, can I tell you, I, I love that you're focusing on the idea that everything is like dusty and untouched because the character who's, who's living in the walls, Zeng Yu, is described as a hollow man. And that phrase pops up a couple of times. And that is a reference to the hollow man, of course, by John Dixon Carr, where famously there is a, a locked room mystery where the only way into the room is through a window that leads to snow that has no footprints. And there's a huge deal made about how only someone who like didn't leave any weight on the snow, a hollow man could have you know committed this murder. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pin this one for the moment on, uh, goodness. I have, I have, I have a choice <laughs> in my mind. It is between Renze by or the architect. I feel like I need to pin, pin it on Renze because he's the only person that's actually been in the story. But I will explain myself upon our return. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex here with you. I am joined today by a couple of panelists speaking about the world of corporate crime fiction. It's a long-tenured genre with many famous names, including the well-regarded John Grisham, uh, who Joanna Jenkins allegedly gives a run for his money. Um, and she is my first guest today, a former solicitor who worked for over 30 years, including as a partner of an international law firm. And uh, before that, studied English literature and law at the University of Queensland, currently resides in Brisbane. Joanna, welcome to Death of the Reader. Hello. Great to be here. We're also joined by Stuart Black, founding partner of healthcare comms group Ward 6. And also while working in the industry, he had a manuscript shortlisted for the New South Wales Writers' Centre Popular Fiction Competition in 2003 and in 2009 published a psychological thriller, Shallow Water. His latest second novel, The Signatory, has just come out this year. Stuart, welcome to Death of the Reader. Thank you very much, Felix. Yeah, great to be here. So I guess the thing that interests me as a big crime fiction nerd is that so often the crime fiction protagonist is responsible with putting out fires. You've both so well constructed stories that are really about putting out fires. In The Signatory, Sam, our protagonist, is traveling all around the world trying to keep tabs on the company that he has sold, which was his startup. And then several of your characters, Joanna, are dealing with the fallout of the death of Gavin Jones, a terrible, terrible client who, uh, you can kind of get the gist of via the title of the book. So I guess I wanted to ask, I'll start with you, Joanna. What is it about leadership in corporate positions you think makes it so compelling to just deal with problem after problem in the crime fiction space? I, I guess there's a sort of element of control that leaders have of their environment, but they but they also, there's a whole lot of unknowns 
um, that are to do with the worst parts of human nature. So being in a leadership position, I guess, gives access to the sort of material that they might need to solve the crime, the documents and the and being able to compel people to speak to them. Yeah, and I suppose for you, Stuart, Sam is a character who's kind of had his leadership almost taken away from him in everything but title. So how do you think Sam's position as a character really lends to showing that struggle of the problems just constantly coming around the corner? Yeah, I mean, that's 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 right. I mean, and that's part of the the idea there that that he's he's you know experiencing a big change and so it's and it, and it kind of connects that I love that notion of just when you think everything's perfect then things go horribly wrong so in other words you can you can never take anything for granted I don't think I don't think in business I don't think in life yeah I think something that's really interesting in both of these novels uh, is the way that we sort of deal with false camaraderie in that, you know, so many of these characters are working together, but there is a lot of opposition and a lot of opportunities to put other people down. And one thing I thought was particularly interesting about that is that it's very much in the sort of crime fiction, almost murder mystery sense yes, of who can you right. even trust. Yes, you, that's right. So you'd, you'd, there, are, there are pals and people who profess to be your pal who aren't really, who might be in the background working against you. I don't want to sound paranoid. <laughs> yeah, we're speaking a lot about dysfunctional relationships and the way that people make each other worse, but both of you have written stories that have uh, two very supporting relationships in them. Was it important to ground both of your novels in a pairing like that? Yeah, and, and also, I mean, I, I guess I'm a bit of a romantic at heart, so I like <laughs> the idea that there's some good relationship in in the, in the novel, you know, and, you know, it's it's not my intention to to write something that's that's completely bleak from start to finish while they've got their issues um it's also you know it's a romantic relationship and and she's incredibly important to him and he's incredibly important to her so so that that to me was was a big deal and and important as you say to the grounding of the novel it's very clear that Gavin has either by his own mistake or by circumstance kind of been cut off from any network that can support him. Mm. So a lot of his self-worth is, I guess, unavailable to him. So you get a real sense as well as being a horrible character. We do also very clearly get to see like what's driven him to that position. I'm glad to hear you say that, uh, Felix, because I, I don't see Gavin as being all bad. Um, he's a pretty awful person, but he's he became that way because he's just completely focused on status, which he measures in money and possessions. You know, he's married to a lovely woman. He's got these great kids, but he can't see that because he's completely focused on what work can provide and the uh, it's a situation where he's never going to be satisfied. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've heard you both in other interviews mention sort of how the writing world was portrayed to you as being very ruthless, but it felt to me based on your responses in those other interviews that you were very well prepared to it coming from these more corporate environments because of how competitive they can be. Yeah, I, I find the uh, the publishing world and the writing world very different <laughs> to the advertising world. You know, there's there's not a lot of people making a lot of money from publishing fiction in Australia. You know, and uh, and so I think most people who are doing it and who are involved in it are doing it because they really like it. Yeah, it's also interesting thinking about the ways that the characters are also creative in dealing with different problems. Like there's entire narratives, for example, uh, in your novel 
Joanna, that characters are coming up with to try and, like, change what has actually happened. It feels like there's a lot of created fiction in the way that these offices run. Yes, and there's a lot of um, stealing ideas. Even even in a meeting, you can be, you know, there'll be uh, people going around the table in a meeting and someone will say something. Often often it's a, it's a problem that women often experience. Mm-hmm. They'll say something and, and nobody says anything and then you go three people down the line and they'll repeat what she just said and everybody goes, oh, that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> <laughs> Misogyny in both of these books is really interesting because of the way that, you know, Chaz is so leering at the start of the signatory and obviously the women working against each other and with each other through uh, How to Kill a Client is so strong. I know that misogyny was something that was a huge part of you exploring this novel. So, uh, there, there are a lot of movies in the 1990s about um, women, career women and that they seem to be like often they were portrayed as being evil and they were very sort of, sort of they were a very sort of cardboard cutout. So I wanted them to be like normal, vulnerable people who are just very clever and very strong and resilient um, and trying to, you know, understand what's going on and why why there's this sort of brutality. Based on what we've spoken about so far, were there any other questions that you guys would want to ask of each other just before I kind of wrap things up? I was just wondering how you came to the the, the publication process. So this is your second book, Stuart. It's actually a, a strange thing. So the, the, the novel that I wrote or the manuscript that I wrote after Shallow Water in 2009, I actually had to pull because... It, and this is going to come across as a very strange story, given the title of your novel. But um, I wrote it about a client organisation, and my client was murdered in real life. Oh. So I had to oh, pull the goodness. pull the novel. It wasn't exactly my plotline, but it was pretty close to. And um, yeah, just you know, one of those very strange, creepy things. Wow! And what, so what, scary. What, <laughs> yeah, no, it was, yeah. Um, and I must say, I did say to the. The C- my my current CFO being really careful between now and sort of publication date. I, I really don't want you being kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know. But uh, Joanna, how, how about you? Um, you know, what, what did when did you start work on this one, and and how did you end up getting to the point of publication? Uh, so I started work on it seven years ago, um, and yeah. then I wrote it, and I couldn't get any. I couldn't sell it. I couldn't get any interest. From because I think at the time um, the crime fiction that had really taken hold as a consequence of the dry was rural noir. In fact, I'd given up on it and was working on something else uh, until um, a, a journalist friend of mine taught me how to write a pitch lo- a pitch email. Yeah, and 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 what about your next one? Do you have are you sort of well underway with the next one? Or, or yeah, it's kind of rural noir. <laughs> the main character goes to the country. <laughs> all righty well i guess thank you both so much for joining us here on death of the reader this has been an absolute treat and i've loved getting to explore both of these books and sort of their place in the crime fiction world oh thanks felix for having having me it was great
Yeah, thank you very much, Felix. And Joanna, pleasure to meet you and to chat. Thank you. The Signature by Stuart Black is out with Glass House Books. And thank you to DMCPR for sending Death of the Reader copies. Alan and Unwin is the publisher of How to Kill a Client. And thank you for them for sending it through and all of those people for helping us arrange this particular session. We'll have links up on the podcast with more. This is Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour here on 2SER 107.3. More to come. Stick around. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are here discussing Zhu Yen Lin's death in the House of Rain. This is the second week, and we are discussing now up to the end of Chapter 5, because I've just read it, because Herds was feeling sympathetic to my cause. I know. Look, I wanted to make sure I gave you the most information I could. And this is, of course, the chapter where our detective, Ropin Lin, says he's figured it out uh-huh. and you don't need to be God One to solve a murder does case. does not need to God to solve <laughs> murder mysteries. Okay. One need not be God. That- it reminded me of the Star Trek line, what does God need with a starship? And I thought that was very funny. <laughs> I, I feel <laughs> anyway. like I, I've had one question answered by this section. Well, that's good. That's good. Which is that, like, there was a detail I'd forgotten about the crimes in the past that now makes a lot more sense, which is that Yuyun was killed by a fishing line, and we, of course, find a detached fishing line in the first locked room in the present day, insinuating that, and it's covered with dust, insinuating that that was actually what killed Yuyun and not Yang. I guess, I guess, do we want to start with that? Like, what what about her parents? How how they just murder each other? Well, blind the, the rage. Thing, the thing that we have is that in this stretch of chapters, we introduced the camera that is how mm-hmm. Ting Ji Yan supposedly figures out the trick of everything. And basically, we are sent an email saying, "Hey, I've I've gosh done figured root and toot and figured out." who did the crime in the past, here's some pictures. Mm. So the only character who in the story has used a camera is Yu Yun. Mm. So presumably the only person who would have had the photos that are sent to Renze would have been Yu Yun, thus meaning that she probably killed at least her father, her father probably killed her mother, and that Yang just left. Yeah, now that checks out. The The other interesting thing we have in this section is that Ting Ji Yan dies. Yeah, we have our fourth present death. It is presented that Ting Ji uh, committed suicide because they had shown up to solve the, the crimes from the past and in a terrible feeling of horrible guilt over everything that had happened have committed suicide and also for some reason moved furniture on both sides of her room. She's just a, she's a furniture mover. Just a but furniture yeah, she, mover. She, she commits suicide in the, basically the same way that Wei Kun Yang does in emotionally, at least not, you know, physically she drinks poison rather than hanging herself, but no, no, no. She drinks, drinks tea. You'll, you'll be You're right. She it's drinks labeled tea. There's rat poison <laughs> in the storeroom at a house that has guest room. The tea bucket is labeled tea. Well, you know, they don't have guests around all the time, only like a couple times a year. As as far as I'm concerned, Herds, the person who made that labeling decision is the murderer <laughs> in this story. I see, I see. And who would that be? 
I would love to know who you think has killed Ting Ziyan and how this murder was committed. Because, yeah, it's in a locked room. We have the door blocked with, with furniture, as we, you we mentioned. We have two whole maps showing us how this we room have with an inexplicable entirely round pillar maps. in the middle of the room. Two entirely new maps with a pillar, yes. <laughs> there are no pillars in any other room except for this one. For some reason. If there's one thing that I've learned from my years <laughs> of covering murder mystery herds, that if you are presented an impossible crime where something has moved inexplicably and there is a round object inexplicably also in the middle of that space, that a line of string or rope was tied around it. This is why I, I much prefer like hiding a gun behind a, like a desk of drawers or something. It's a lot easier to obfuscate that than the giant pillar. That, why is it even there? Is it load-bearing? I guess so. It does It does feel a little strange that it's like, oh, yeah, the desk also moved on, on the far side of the room. Like, could it just put the rope over the top of the desk and would it would have just stayed still? It really feels like the desk just moved to point out that this was a rope trick. Was this... Like, I mean, I mean, I know I mentioned that my two lead suspects were the architect and Renze Bai, and I feel like the lack of safety doors is, is the architect trying to get back at the family for the slights that were mentioned regarding wives earlier in the novel. <laughs> used to a sloppy job, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, I suppose, I, I guess the other thing that's quite obvious from this stretch of chapters, Herds, is that Renze Bai heckin' killed Ting Yan. Walks into the room, looks at the south wall where the desk that shouldn't have moved just so happens to have been moved, and then goes, oh, heck, I'm sleepy. And then we have a bit of a cutaway scene to someone digging in the garden, and then he doesn't show up to breakfast. It's always murder. Every single time. Every time. Even if Every they aren't time. the murder of that novel, they probably went into a different book and killed someone <laughs> in that book just that. to satiate Ben's point here. It's true. They, they're like, yeah, I just was up last night doing something really physically and emotionally draining. I'm not <laughs> going to tell you what it was. Probably watching Cade to death again. My, my lawyers but- will also not tell you. Exactly. But it was definitely murder. The only other thing is that I still don't know who killed the other three women. Well, that's that was going to be my next question. Because it's not Renze Bai. Renze Bai did not you kill his own daughter. You don't think it's Renze Bai? No, I reckon Renze Bai so? killed Ting Ji because he thinks Ting Ji killed his daughter. But Ting Ji also definitely did not do it. And my thought was, if we now have him as a murderer for Ting Ji Yan, does that now mean... We have satisfied the murderer conditions of this murder mystery, and thus none of the other crimes need a who or why. What do you mean? How can there be no who or why in a murder novel? Is Su Yen Lin using Renze Bai? Oh God. I thought you were about to say, is Su Yen Lin the murderer? I was going to throw hands. Staring, staring at SS Van Dyne across the table. <laughs> And saying, yeah. I've got you on this one, you smug chump. And I feel I feel like it's almost an act of cowardice to say yes. I feel like it is paltry for me to not say I, I have a suspect. But uh-huh. like if if I if 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 I'm on the money with this one and I do pick a suspect. Then you're gonna <laughs> laugh all the way to the bank with the points on me. I'm I'm already laughing. I'm having a great time. I'm loving this. Anyone who said that this book doesn't have characterization in it, Bradley Friedman, 
Fight me. Is kidding themselves <laughs> because the characterization through lack of characterization is like <laughs> galaxy brain genius. Well, hold on now. Let's clarify. Lack of characterization. What are we characterizing then? The, 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 mer- like the, mer- there is. Come on. It's the yeah, sort of thing that could happen in flex, real life. Come on. That you like just... chase and manipulate someone down a corridor, send them into a room, and we're like, wow. Real genius of the the the, the strategic <laughs> art of the anvil and hammer approach of leading someone into a death trap like some <sighs> trained general on a battlefield. Can you? What are you locking in? Because I want to. I want a wordplay here, but I also want to hear what your final answer is. Herds, <laughs> as much as I'm enjoying this, I think I'm going to say that the other three crimes were not committed on purpose by any okay. character in the novel. Okay. On a technicality, I would say that Cheng Yang committed two of them because he did not know, and the third one, she fell. But I, I think there is no murderer until Renze Bai. I, I suppose next week on the show we'll find out if your theory is anywhere near correct. Mm-hmm. Because who knows? Maybe the killer has just slipped out from underneath you. That is entirely possible. Fire an elevator shaft, I presume. Fire an elevator shaft, clearly. All I'm going to say is that all this talk of characterizing without any characterization and going through corridors that might lead to some particular place. I think this novel does an excellent job of characterizing the house itself. So, yeah, I guess I'll be letting you know next week how many points you get in as we'll be reading just chapter six, um, okay. which is going to be a whole fracking thing. I'm um, frightened. You're yeah, frightened. This, You're this frightened. is We're all a frightened. crime, crime by the divinities is what this chapter is called. Oh, so thank make goodness. Of that what you will. Oh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. The weight that just lifted from my chest upon hearing the title of that chapter. Oh, good gracious. Well, you don't have to be God to solve a murder mystery. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> this is Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour here on 2SCR 107.3. We will be back next week, all the way to the end of Death in the House of Rain by Zhu Yen Lin. Hertz, thank you for joining me. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see you next time. Catch you around. <laughs>